Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Stories podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and in this episode we're going to be hearing about some of the ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the work of the scientists at CERN's Large Hadron Collider. As we kick off 2021, vaccines are being rolled out across much of the world and with that science is guiding us perhaps out of this pandemic. But as it currently stands, Lockdowns are in place in many countries around the world and restrictions, particularly on travel, have been introduced in some places some time ago. CERN is a collaboration of scientists from all over the world. Ordinarily, they'd be travelling from their home countries to work at CERN for periods of two to three weeks at a time, perhaps shorter, perhaps longer. But with the pandemic, that has become for some impossible and for some much more difficult. We'll hear from some of the scientists who've managed to continue their work later in the podcast. But CERN's Large Hadron Collider is currently in one of its long shutdowns. These shutdowns, where the equipment is turned off and cooling down, are a natural part of the life cycle of the equipment. And it enables the scientists and the technicians at CERN to work on fixes and upgrades to the technology involved in the experiments. This particular shutdown is devoted to preparations for the LHC's third run, where it will have an integrated luminosity equal to the two previous runs combined. And that will provide significantly more data for science discoveries. And we'll find out a little more about that as the podcast goes on. But of course, that includes exploring the nature of the Higgs boson. The other thing that this pause is enabling the CERN scientists and engineers to do is the chance to prepare for an even more dramatic upgrade during the LHC's next long shutdown, LS3, which is scheduled for 2025. Following that transformation, the LHC will generate 10 times more collisions than at present. Jose Miguel Jimenez is head of the CERN technology department. I did engineer diploma on, on applied physics and then a PhD in the French Atomic Energy Commission. I arrived at CERN in '94, working mainly for the upgrade in energy of a previous large uh, particle accelerator, the, the LEP, working mainly on the accelerating cavities in, in, the, in the area of the surface science and uh, beam vacuum activities, where, I mean, I grew in the different worlds up to the uh, group leader in, in 2008. And then since uh, 2014, I'm leading the uh, technology department at CERN. And, uh, and in 2015, uh, the director general of the previous one, Rolf Hoyer, appointed me as LS2 coordinator in order to look at CERN-wide schedule loaded uh, activities and, and being, I mean, having a, a role high enough to be able to make any kind of prioritization where needed without having to face big issues. Oh, that's really great on such a big project. The idea is that you are the coordinator of a long shutdown freeze member of the enlarged directorate, and then you are in capacity of taking decision, operative and executive decision very quickly in order to, to streamline the planning every week. So, so we, we are working with obviously the um, master schedule and broken line schedule, but we have an executive meeting, which is a weekly meeting, where all the big issues and concerns are coming. So this is a meeting only with the LS2 team and, and the representative of the, let's say, the department head of the big departments. And we take 
decision on the fly. And what sort of big decisions would that be? We 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 change schedule. We uh, we reorient activities on different uh, tunnels or different machine. We stop activities when we have problems, and uh, and then following the decision, then you have all the process of information, changing schedule, discussing with the workers to in order to reorient and reprofile their activities in a very big consultation so that nobody is getting unhappy. And uh, and we always explain the decision to avoid that people have the impression that they are not considered at the appropriate level. And what's happening at the moment? So at, at the moment, uh, the, uh, all the injectors uh, have completed the long shutdown too. So most of them, apart from the large one, the SPS, most of them are already receiving beams. And the SPS is now in the process of what we call machine call checkout, which is that we unlock all the power supplies and we are testing the equipment in, uh, in, in series, in sequence, in order to ensure that everything is working well and this machine will receive beam, let's say, by, by March. And, and the LHC, in fact, half of the LHC is already at cold, so at 1.9 Kelvin. We uh, we uh, we have so four sectors completely at cold, two others which are going down, um, and uh, and the last two are planned one for week five, and one for week six. So the first two weeks of February. So it means that by by end of February the LHC will be entirely at cold. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Cooling down the LHC. Well, in in, in fact, you have to imagine that we we are talking about thousands of stones of 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 magnet which has to go from room temperature into cryogenic temperature. So, so we are using, on the first step, uh, we always use helium, but uh, from the room temperature down to 77 Kelvin, we are using heat exchangers between liquid nitrogen and, and helium. So in fact, we use liquid nitrogen in order to cool down the helium, and then the helium is cooling down the, 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 the magnet. So the big advantage of the helium is that it's, it's low going down to very low temperature. One of the uh, small uh, disadvantages of helium is that it's a, a very light molecule, so so the heat capacity is very small. So when you need to cool down very, very heavy pieces, it takes about six weeks to, to, to cool down these uh, uh, thousands of tons of magnets. Yeah. Why do they have to be cold? Be- because we, we would like, obviously, to get the superconducting properties of a cable. So, so you know that when you when you are seeking a very high magnetic field, you you have two 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 ways of doing it. Uh, so the, the magnetic field is proportional directly to the number of of turn you have in the coil or to the current. Uh, so at a given moment, when you cannot put more turn because the magnet becomes too big in order to be used in an accelerator, then you have to increase the current. So in our case, we are increasing the current from the a resistive magnet, a normal conducting magnet, will go up to 3,000 ampere. In our case, we are running the machine with up to 12,000 ampere, so we need a superconducting cable in order to digest and avoid all the heat losses and, and energy saving that we are looking for. So obviously, the LHC is in the long shutdown for all this to take place and the upgrades to take place. But we've had lockdowns in society due to COVID-19. How's that impacted the work that you're involved in? Obviously it has been changed. I mean we, we, are, we, are, we have a delayed a delay of about four months so three are directly linked to the COVID shutdown of CERN. In fact you remember that CERN was closed from, from let's say mid-March to, uh, to mid-May so we have three months directly linked to that and one additional month which was 
when we resumed the activities in May, June, we had to avoid uh, co-activities and, and reduce the density or densification of personnel in some areas. So we had to, to uh, I mean, we, we, we put shift works, but when it was not enough, we had, we had to delay some of activities. So, so we have to say that in addition to the direct impact of a free month of lockdown, we have one month of, of additional delay mainly linked to this uh, safety reconfiguration. It, w- it was a big challenge, I have to say, that we, we expected many, many problems, b- but not this one. And, uh, and uh, um, well, we, um, I think we were very successful because we, we were watching very carefully the evolution of a curve, thanks to the attitude of our Director General, Fabiola Gianotti, who is always uh, turned into, into the safety first. And uh, so we were watching all the indicators and we quickly saw that we will go there. So, so the first decision that we did when we decided to go for lockdown, it was decided about a week ahead and we shut down all the activities uh, with a very clear procedure in order to know exactly in which state and in which phase all the activities were left by the different teams. So, so this was very, very helpful because then during the three months that we were teleworking, we knew exactly where we stop and we knew exactly what we need to in order to be res- to resuming in the best situation. And this, all these processes, all these works could, could be done in teleworking with everybody. So it allowed us to resume on very, very good condition because we knew exactly where we stopped. So it was not just running away without any kind of control. Everything was perfectly mastered. And is that because you're used to doing shutdowns for scientific reasons? Well, this is, yeah, of course, but this is because we are very pragmatic and, uh, and this is uh, the, the sequential way to, 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 to do things. I mean, the first thing you have to avoid when you do this, you're working with these uh, very complex interfaces of, of equipment. Uh, the only thing that you cannot do, do is run away without knowing how, how you leave the equipment because the next one coming, if it's not the one who was there because he's... Uh, let's say, uh, affected by COVID, the next one coming there, then we'll have to go through a very extensive evaluation of the configuration and of the overall safety. And this is uh, a waste of time and, and quite dangerous. So, so this is why we went through a kind of uh, landing. In fact, it was more than a lockdown. It was a kind of landing phase towards a safe and well-understood uh, situation. Just as an aside, if you're a regular listener to the Physics World Stories podcast, then you'll know that I recently broke my leg. And that means that I'm having to go to the hospital fairly regularly for checkups and x-rays to see whether it's moved, how it's going on, etc. And with COVID-19 at the moment, that's obviously a bit of a concern. Clearly, hospitals are very, very well set up for this sort of thing. But there's just that question mark about when you're walking through the communal areas, are you going to be coming into close contact with somebody who's got the virus? One thing that's quite good about my local hospital, though, is that the communal spaces, the corridors, if you like, aren't really corridors. They're very big. And the same is true at CERN. You, you know that our infrastructure are very, very large. So they cannot be compared with a small infrastructure in a university. I mean, the CERN infrastructure with all the surface buildings and the, the, the tunnels are amazingly large. So, so, so apart from the elevators and some common areas of access uh, systems uh, because of the biometry, it's, it's very easy to allow and to keep the distancing uh, all the time. 
So, so the second problem was mainly on the labs and uh, and uh, in the in the offices when you have to do reports and things like that. So, what we agreed is that we will go. In many cases, we went for a continuous day. People were coming in the morning, doing their job, going back home, and from home they were doing the reporting. And this was very useful to avoid that people people were crossing uh, and and let's say meetings in, in some areas. I, I would like to point out that uh, the um, the intelligence of people uh, when when they have to do their work and they, they have to work in a new completely revised safety environment is, is very important and in, in, in fact the, I think that one of the success uh, that uh, that um, I can claim for for the long shot don't do is is to to, to have um, succeeded in leaving enough space for everybody to contribute with uh, its own intelligence to the problematic, which was completely unforeseen, and not just to impose things that uh, I thought or somebody thought that it will be the, the best solution in the tunnel. In fact, we, we define a frame and we, we try to adapt uh, this, this frame uh, using the intelligence of each individual. And do you think this might change the way that you do things at CERN outside of global pandemics? I think the, 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 the prospect for, for, the, for the future and the impact of the COVID uh, is, is quite interesting. I mean, many, many of the activities that we, we were doing, even CERN, who is on the front line of a technology and trying to evolve together with the evolution of a society, um, we, we have a dimension, everybody of us has a dimension of conservatism because, because uh, the LHC is very large, the LHC is its own prototype, the LHC is very expensive, any mistake will cost a lot of money and a lot of time. So people tend to be very conservative and they say, no, no, this cannot be done remotely, no, this will not work. I mean, this, the COVID somehow help us to think differently, a kind of orthogonal obligation. And, and I think that we learn a lot of things. A lot of activities can really be done remotely with, with, with very high standards of, of reliability and, and safety. So, yeah, in, indeed, this, this, is, this will have, COVID will have anyway an impact in the design of a future large uh, scientific instrument, I'm sure. So COVID has impacted the large tech side of things, and it really is large tech when we're talking about CERN. I wanted to know how things were impacting the scientists involved at CERN. So I caught up with Dr. Achana Sharma, a physicist who's been working as a project manager on the CMS GEM experiment over the last 12 years. So the CMS experiment, the full form is compact muon solenoid. It is an experiment uh, which was built as a multipurpose experiment for the LHC accelerator. It was built over 20 years, literally, uh, from the early 90s, and we started taking data in uh, 2010. A muon is a cousin of the electron, and it is a particle that is formed very frequently in the decays of particles or very interesting physics processes that happen at the collision point inside the detector. So I work on the, on the muon system, and the M is the middle name of CMS, compact muon solenoid. I design, build, and have been installing, commissioning large detectors to catch all the muons that will be coming out from the interaction point inside CMS. And you work on the CMS GEM 
project? So GEMS essentially is it's an acronym. So GEM is a gas electron multiplier. Essentially, it is a Kapton foil, which is copper clad on both sides. And it is chemically perforated with millions of holes. And the moment you apply a small voltage across this foil, each of these holes acts as a multiplier. So if one electron goes inside a hole, many electrons will come out. And depending on the voltage that you apply, you will be able to get gain factors of the order of a thousand. Wow. And what's your role been in all this? I'm an applied physicist, which means that I work on radiation detectors. So I've been working on uh, R&D, which means prototyping for building detectors for muons over a long period of time in the, in the 90s. And then in the year 2000 onwards, I've been working on CMS, essentially where we built another kind of muon detectors, which are the RPCs, the resistive plate chambers. And there are about uh, 7,000 meters squared of RPCs that I assisted in installing and commissioning and getting them operational at CMS. When we got to the finish of that point of um, installation of RPCs, I started uh, playing back in the laboratory with GEMS because those were the detectors that were invented in the 90s and I was dreaming to use them in CMS. And uh, that's where the R&D started for application inside CMS. We started building small detectors first and then we moved to building larger detectors And the big breakthrough came when we could make a meter long gem and half a meter wide gem uh, as a unit. And that was um, possible then to move uh, and multiply uh, continuously this process to make, you know, meter squared, a thousand, up to a thousand meter squared of gem foils. Quite apart from COVID-19 and all the restrictions involved in that, the LHC is in the middle of a long shutdown. What does that mean for you and the other scientists involved? CMS is not taking data or any other experiment on the LHC is is not taking data. But we are also augmenting the capabilities of CMS, which means that, you know, we are installing new detectors. And this was a moment, an opportunity for us, GEMS, the GEM group, so to speak. You know, it's a very large group coming from various countries and uh, the collaboration is very large. So uh, we uh, used this opportunity to install our detectors. In 2019, we installed 72 detectors. And in 2020, we installed another 72 detectors. And of course, the two experiences were pretty different. In 2019, it was, uh, you know, a big um, beehive uh, and a big buzz of activity where, you know, collaborators working all close together, you know, neck to neck, so to speak. And uh, we were um, continuously debugging issues uh, together in the installation, uh, in the cavern, on the floor, in the laboratory, doing all the quality controls, uh, ensuring that, you know, everything fits First of all, so this detector is, of course, uh, made of foils, but we have put together three different foils and then you have to enclose this so that uh, you have a gas volume inside, right? And this gas volume shouldn't leak, so there are two other electrodes that confine this gas volume. That's one detector, so to speak. 
and the 72 detectors are just replications of this single detector. And then it is completed by electronics so that when a muon passes through, we are able to pick up the signal using this amplification that happens in the gem holes. So we had to verify all the stages of production of the detector itself. And this detector has been produced in different countries all over the world. Uh, pieces were uh, also produced in different countries. So they had have been traveling all over the world, then assembling here at CERN in our laboratory, where we have a teeming group of young students actually uh, who did all the tests and uh, ensured that they performed the way we will be needing them to perform at CMS. So all this flurry of activity continued throughout 2019, when in October, we actually finished the installation of the 72nd detector. In 2020, things were very different, as you know. So in 2020, um, we were expecting to install in the month of May. And in the month of May, uh, you know, there was no way that we could be doing the same activities as we were doing in 2019. However, the group is extremely committed and they, um, my team, got together and we had we prepared a baseline plan despite the delays we would have activities that are planned you know people couldn't work together we had to remain you know socially distant we had to have masks all the time and of course uh, you know there were issues other issues related with the pandemic that people couldn't travel so our team was very very thin and uh, therefore, we had to be extremely careful, also with suspicions of COVID in the team, for example. So we had to take extra precautions of quarantining people, if, even if there was a suspicion of the pandemic. So the work stretched very long. However, we worked in tandem. So we had a plan and, you know, just handing over the baton one to the other, we continued the work despite the pandemic, and uh, eventually last um, uh, November, we were able to complete the second end cap, uh, the second 72 detectors on the second end cap of CMS. So by now we have 144 detectors, all set to be taking data in 2022. Well, that's great. Does that mean that the effects of COVID-19 are not going to be delaying things too much? Well, it does because there's a whole lot of commissioning to do. Suppose you were uh, assembling a car and you didn't know whether it can run and you were just creating it um, b without knowing how the car actually would run. So um, you need to have all the pieces together and then you need to do test drives. So we have not done any test drives uh, let's say we've just about started them and we need pretty much a year of working in tandem with the rest of CMS. So standalone, we know each detector works, but then how do we get to uh, picking up the muon in the gems, passing them on to the other detectors in CMS and then passing them, passing the information through CMS to the data stream uh, of interesting physics. So there's a whole gamut of algorithms to be tested, some to be developed. The electronics has to be uh, tested as well. And a large number of uh, 
trigger, um, you know, triggering algorithms also need to be tested, which are being done at the moment. How does it feel going about that work in the pandemic? Well, CERN is a quiet place, visually, so to speak, because, you know, there are very few people around in the corridors or in the uh, cafeteria. However, I would say that activity has actually multiplied, even exponentially, I would say, because the borders have broken down and the pandemic has really brought us together. And the, the dis- disconnect between being in an office, being at home, being in the laboratory has suddenly disappeared. And there's a bridge at an accelerated pace where we can communicate. You know, you begin work in the morning and you're sitting at your desk until end of the day, pretty much because of the lockdown, also because of lack of uh, moving out of home. Um, It is a challenge. Nevertheless, I feel that there is uh, a certain shrinking of time and also the importance of uh, what we do has suddenly brought our mission together and in focus. So I feel that as a team, as a collaboration, we've really come together. I have extremely dedicated collaborators, and they have worked tirelessly to make sure that our installation happens. And this was an incredible time for me to see my boys and girls working in the lab, uh, even on Saturdays and Sundays. The moment we were allowed to go back in the lab uh, at CERN, because, you know, everything was closed from March to May, and uh, they've been working. uh, It it was really a moment, a humbling moment for me as well. But uh, let me, and in fact, that was another reason why I couldn't stay at home because of just thinking that the team is really working here and how can I be at home? So this was the big bridge, uh, so to speak, where uh, the teams really showed their mettle. And one of them was suspected eventually of COVID as well. And even though he was negative, you know, but he had to quarantine because, you know, he was a close contact or the way things are defined, you know, we had to take precautions uh, to the maximum. And it was, a how can I say, a terrible uh, moment because he was desperate to come back to work and we didn't allow him to come back to work. So there have been moments, very emotionally charged moments as well, because of the commitment that the team had to the project, and I couldn't be more proud of my team. That's brilliant. What are those collaborations going to be looking at in the future? You know that the Higgs boson was discovered in 2012, also in CMS. Well, this is, of course, a complementary detector to CMS. CMS is a very uh, performing detector. It already has many, many different uh, technologies that it has combined to be able to spot anything out of the normal, so to speak. Now, the Higgs boson is like a new baby. So we need to understand how it behaves. We need to understand whether it's a complex particle or how does uh, or how does it interact How does the whole scheme of the standard model, how does the whole scheme of uh, quarks and leptons come out from the Higgs interactions? So there's lots to study, 
and there could be surprises as well because because of the surprises we make progress in science so to speak so there will be the expected and the unexpected and in both cases we are making progress and there are many many theories out there which uh, will be seeking uh, validation in the data that we are going to look at in post 2022 and then also later on in at hllhc in 2026 and onwards uh, just to clarify the hllhc is the high luminosity large hadron collider his jose miguel jimenez again the the upgrade in in uh, in intensity or in luminosity luminosity being proportional to the number of collision inside the detector this upgrade is is made in two phases the first one is in the injectors Uh, and the second one is in the LEC for the high luminosity LEC project which will only be be installed in the long shutdown free which means 20 25 26 so now we 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 have installed and we have modified all the injectors so the sequence from the linac 4 replacing linac 2 uh, ps booster uh, um, ps and sps which is a chain in total a chain about 15 kilometers of machine So everything has been modified and optimized in order to increase the uh, the brightness, so the density of protons per square centimeter by by a factor of 10. So so now we have to 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 work to to digest these beams in the in the sequence of accelerators and as well in the LEC. So so this will be the first year will be this one in order to try to digest and to make work all these machine up to these uh, levels and then this will create more luminosity in the LEC which means more statistics and uh, more statistics means that we will be we hope that we will be able to to get enough resolution uh, on, on some uh, phenomenon that that uh, that the physicists are observing the situation we've probably you heard that the situation with the detector is slightly different from the situation from for the machine because the machine relies on personnel of CERN I mean we are more than 1200 people from CERN working on the machine and we rely as well on the very strong industrial support the detectors rely more on the on the universities and national institute so much more countries much more diversity more worldwide and obviously you know that the treatment of a covid and of of a quarantine by the different countries is very very different and differs a lot and this is creating some complexity that we don't have and there also some delays so so we we have a, a kind of shift between the availability of the detectors and the, the availability of a machine by 6 to 9 months so meanwhile in the coming month we are going to try to increase the uh, the magnetic field so to push the uh, the current in the superconducting magnet up to the maximum in order to be able if feasible if if we succeed in order to run to make the run free at a higher energy if we if we manage to 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 do that uh, then clearly we will open a new a very small new window in in discovery because we will be running uh, beams in collision at energies which has never been reached so far As we've been hearing, the various collaborations at CERN are between people from all over the world. And obviously COVID has affected them in various ways, not least being able to physically get to CERN. One of the researchers is Dr. Sahal Yakub, 
a lecturer in physics at the University of Cape Town, whose sabbatical at CERN to do his research in high-energy particle physics at the Atlas experiment has coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic. I have a, a group of students and, and uh, technical people that I supervise on, on, a, on a number of projects. I'm not uh, high up on the ladder of any major analysis or technical development on Atlas or at CERN. Um, so we're, I have students trying to measure the, the mass of the top quark and uh, how often uh, the Higgs boson is produced in association with another boson we have and then how it decays and that's going to tell us some things about the universe and, and how things work and some students looking for new models to kind of go beyond what we have now by finding small deviations in things, essentially. And then on the technical side, I'm working on the upgrade to the inner tracking detector. So uh, I don't know how much you or your listeners know about, about ATLAS. We do proton-proton collisions at the Large Hadron Collider, and there's two general-purpose detectors around collision points of the LHC. One is the CMS detector, and one is the ATLAS detector. And basically, what happens is the protons collide, and we need to collide them to access the strong interaction that kind of holds them together, basically, and, and have the interactions be between the quarks inside the protons and the gluons inside the protons rather than just the protons. And then something will happen, like some statistically determined, amazing, very unusual thing that won't happen anywhere else really will happen. And those, as a result of that, we will measure in the detector the particles we know and love. And because we know and love them, we know mostly how to measure them. And then we use like high school physics kind of uh, conservation of energy and momentum to reconstruct the picture of what happened. So the interesting thing kind of quickly, we use the word decays, like breaks apart into things we know, those things hit our detectors, and then we reconstruct them. So the detectors are built in a certain way so that we can do the reconstruction we expect to do. So there's an inner layer that tracks charged particles, then there's an outer layer that measures the energy of um, mostly electrons and photons. And then outside of that is the, the hadron, so the bound states of quarks get measured. And then right at the final step is the muon system, where we measure muons, which are charged particles that are just like electrons, except they're heavier. Why are they heavier? That's one of the things we don't know yet. But they are, and that means that they get kind of to the outside. So... I was talking about the upgrade work, um, and so the inner tracking detector will need to be replaced after a future LHC upgrade to be able to handle the higher number of proton collisions, which means there's going to be more radiation going through the detector and more signal going through the detector that we need to be able to disambiguate. So I'm working on that upgrade. And I'm working on the muon system upgrade, which needs to go in during the current LHC shutdown. The LHC is not currently running. We're upgrading part of the muon system to, again, just help us do better with rejecting backgrounds. And you're working on something called the New Small Wheels project. Yes, so the New Small Wheels are the 
new muon detectors that I that I just mentioned, and that's why I'm currently at CERN, um, even though I work for the University of Cape Town. So they are wheels, and uh, I want to stop myself, but I can't. They're also new. Ooh, can I guess? Are they small? No, they're not actually that small. They're smaller than the big wheels. <laughs> So there are the big wheels and the small wheels, right? And immediately my, like, geeky scientist comes on, well, like, well, I guess small and big are related to your scale. But no, they're, they're quite big. I mean, to get to the top level at the moment, we're working on, we're working on the actual wheel. It's, it's, I think it's up four or five levels on scaffolding to get to the top. Um, I, don't, I don't have the, the dimensions of it in my head, but we have big wheels and small wheels. The small wheels are, so if you think of the, the protons coming in and colliding and the interaction point, we have a cylindrical atlas detector. Around that, you know, we have kind of cylindrically symmetric bits around the central part of the collision. And then in the forward bits, we have like slices, vertical slices, right? And because the, the beams come in, in in a thin cylinder, those are wheel shapes that go around the cylinder. So basically, if you move away from the interaction point, you know, think about moving from outwards from the center of a circle and you want to keep the angle the same as you move away from the center of the circle, the, the size between the, the edges of the angle, like you need a bigger piece. You need a big, think of a pie piece, right? Closer to the center, it's thinner. And as you go further out, it's wider. So the, the big wheels are further out and the small wheels are closer to the, kind of think of the center of the circle as the center of the cylinder. So those new small wheels are 9.3 metres in diameter. As I mentioned, Sahar's situation at the moment is different to how he normally interacts with CERN. If I was not on sabbatical, I come to CERN two to three times a year, maybe for a total of four or five weeks. There are people who travel much more often. Obviously, if you're, if you're based in Europe and not based at CERN, it's, it's easier to pop over kind of more regularly. This is definitely my longest visit since I I became a, a lecturer and had teaching duties. Part of the release from, from my university duties for my sabbatical for a year is that I don't have teaching duties. Um, it didn't quite work out that way because of the pandemic. Uh, everything was shifted in the calendar. So my sabbatical started on the 1st of July, but my teaching continued into it. And then the exams were all pushed to the end of our academic year. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. So we do this crazy thing where we start the academic year in January and end it in December. I know it's it's wild. So although my um, my teaching duties officially were over at the end of June, uh, we the examinations ran at the end of the year. So we had to go through setting them and marking them and things like that. Um, but I guess because of the pandemic, this year was mostly remote teaching anyway, which could have been done from from anywhere. Um, the hardest thing is, you know, while I'm here, we're we're focused on a project, the new small wheel. As I said, the LHC is shut down, and we need to have this piece of machinery properly uh, built and commissioned and ready to go into the pit before the before the startup. So the problem wouldn't be the actual mechanism of teaching because it's all remote now. It's just the the time and effort because that needs to go elsewhere. And aside from your teaching, have you found that the pandemic has been affecting the way that you're doing the collaborations? Because it's very rare that everybody could come in at the same time. There is a bit of a culture of always being 
in some type of virtual sharing environment. So I think because of that, the impact on us is less. Um, but a lot of the really useful things at these meetings, you know, when I would come in, I would come in for, we have a series of weeks. We'd have like Atlas Overview Week or Muon Week or Upgrade Week. And the the formalized talks are really good, but also you end up getting quite a bit done in the tea breaks between the talks. That's where you, you, you really can just chat with someone about your new projects or your new ideas or, hey, I have the student who'd be good to work with you or something, and it just kind of comes out of it um, organically and naturally. So I think I think that's missing. But in general, because... Because of the nature of the collaboration, it's institutional, it's broad, Atlas is, I think, 39 countries. Um, I forget if that's where people are from who are members or if those are the official countries, but it's it's up there. Both of those numbers are, are pretty close. And because of that, almost every meeting was already on... Um, we had something called video, which we're now moving over to Zoom, uh, as most of the world is. So in terms of the meetings and the collaborative nature, that's been formally okay, but informally, it's not quite the same. It's a bit harder. And then on the on the technical side, of course, just building things, uh, you need to be there in person. Most things have been possible. Uh, there have been slight delays with the with the new small wheels, for example, on procuring things and getting people over. So it's technical expertise, at least since I've been here. I've been here since September. The The problem is really it's, it's a mature project. It's something that people have been working on now for 10 years. And while we're now at kind of the final end of it, uh, there are there are extremely experienced technical people who can't make it over, right? So so when travel restrictions are there, and we need uh, the technical person, the electronic engineer who has helped design the system to come over and help us debug something, but he he can't, or he has to be in quarantine for two weeks, or you know something's gone wrong, uh, a medical emergency, or there's a fear of not being able to get back home then those have caused major delays and there have been some procurement delays. As we were talking, Zahal's thoughts turned to a sad situation. We lost uh, one of the leaders, the project leader of the new small wheel since I've been here in the last few months and that was quite a shock to the system as well. It wasn't COVID related. So Stephanie Zimmerman was basically has been in charge of the project since I've been aware of it, so at least 10 years and seemed to always just know everything about it i i helped host we have these weeks i mentioned and once a year they're off-site off-cern so i hosted muon week um in south africa and when i was starting my group in south africa i worked with her a lot and um she's one of these people that um it's just amazing that she always has time and seems to care seem to care about developing physics in South Africa, developing our group, getting it along, but also really knew what was happening at a technical and administrative level of everything. And um, I found out after the fact that she was supervising something like an insane number of students. I, I think the number was close to twenty, and everybody swears that she knew what 
each of them were doing in painful detail. So just a very competent person who was probably around my age, um, mid-40s, um, and just was around and then one day was gone. And it was really kind of something that that's, is probably going to end up slowing us down a lot. It's one of those, you know, you always hear about the person who, if they're hit by a bastard project, uh, kind of has a big shock. And uh, this happened. So I think, yeah, talking about the new small wheel, I mean, I wouldn't be here, I think, um, to work on the project without her. So I think to, to not mention Stephanie, if we're talking about the new small wheel now, is is maybe not so good, yeah. I was sorry to to read about that and thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings on it i imagine it was potentially more difficult during covid times on a personal level the just being alone was very tough um living alone so i'm i uh, don't have a family so it's just me in my apartment and that was very tough before i got here there's a constant concern about society and where we're going and my my family and my friends and how everyone is. I mean, there's so much going on in the world. You know, the social justice issues are around there, I think, with, with Black Lives Matter. Uh, that's that's a big deal. And the other thing, I guess, the bigger thing has been, not related to CERN really, but with the teaching. I've seen students struggle. I've struggled a lot with my teaching. Uh, I think my role as an educator at a university in this day and age is to be consultative, to be able to respond to the needs of my students, to answer questions. Right? I think the, the information is there. There are books. I, I can give them the books and help them. But really, the, the, the point of the education is the interaction. And it just didn't go very well. Uh, we had to do asynchronous learning because... Um, internet connectivity is not as good in South Africa. So I think it was the right decision, but it meant pre-recorded lectures. And so that left me without the feedback mechanism of getting the questions from students, which then give me the points to say like, oh, that's where we're missing something or whatever. Um, And then I did do online consultation sessions, but not everyone was available and it it just wasn't the same. So, So I think that was for me, much harder. That's Sahal Yakub, and I'll leave our conversation there because as a fellow lecturer, the conversation got a bit derailed at that point as we discussed the various ways that our teaching has been affected as it's moved to online. But I wanted to leave you with a positive message. So we return to Achana Sharma. I think that it is extremely important lesson that we learn from the pandemic that we all need to be very, very flexible And it has come very naturally because people have adapted to new ways of working, new ways of learning, new ways of communicating, new ways of holding conferences, being completely transparent about the fact, you know, if we are even a bit sick, you know, we need to report and there's nothing wrong in that. So that kind of a culture change has happened. The hygiene learnings have also happened that, you know, we come so close to each other when we are working in so-called pre-COVID era. It it will be looked at with with different eyes uh, post-COVID, I would say. And then I see at CERN particularly the response has been amazing, especially from the leadership, from the management who has been very decisive and very coherent. And despite being such diverse teams at CERN, 
there has been a, a unified response. And that uh, is a great lesson to learn, uh, particularly for, for all of us, to, to understand how leadership takes information and then disseminates information in such a difficult time. So I think effective communication has really been uh, the key word at CERN in times of COVID. And this will also uh, bring the, the spirit of collaboration much further than what we were before COVID. Thank you very much to Achana Sharma, Sahal Yakub, and Jose Miguel Jimenez for joining me for this episode of the Physics World Stories podcast. If you'd like to know more about what's happening at CERN at the moment, I can highly recommend Dave Barney's feature in the January edition of the Physics World magazine. And don't forget... There's also a weekly Physics World podcast, which you can find in the same place that you found this one. We'll be back next month with something else from this wonderful world of physics. And thank you very much for listening. Physics World.